Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> this Sunday we stand in the feast of our Lord's ascension into the heavens to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And we look in just a week towards the feast of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the apostles, is poured out upon the church. And this morning the church has appointed for us the commemoration of the fathers of the first ecumenical council, where the gospel reading has us hearing our Lord praying to his father, where he is asking for the glorification of himself But also in this prayer to the Father, he is praying for his disciples, his apostles, the ones that have kept his word, the ones whom Christ has gathered to himself, the ones whom Christ calls out to the Father to keep them, the ones to whom Christ has given authority to through the gift of the Holy Spirit. As our Lord in his prayer to the Father tells the Father that he has been given authority over all flesh, that the glory of God is manifested in Christ and will also be manifested in his disciples, that this authority that Christ has is one that is the authority of the church. And so we commemorate and we remember the fathers of the first ecumenical council. Those fathers who stood with the authority of Christ with the gift of the Holy Spirit and defended the truth of who Christ is. This feast is a celebration of the fidelity of the shepherds of the faith, the guardians of the faith. The ones to whom we owe the clarity of the preaching of the gospel to. Alongside this prayer of Christ to the Father, we're also here, we also hear of Paul as he gathers the elders, the bishops of Ephesus to himself to encourage them. And this scene is especially touching as he recalls his tears as he was with them night and day, encouraging them. And Paul's words to these shepherds of Ephesus is one of, how shall I say this? One of vigilance. That the shepherds of Ephesus have coming wolves who will tear apart the church. The church has a gravitas, an authority given to it. There is in the Orthodox Church an understanding, if you were to go into uh, most cathedrals, especially in the more Russian or Slavic tradition, at the high place is a throne Or if in the Byzantine, more Byzantine style, there is a throne from which the bishop presides, from which the bishop blesses, 
from which the bishop has been enthroned. We say when a bishop is installed in a diocese that he is enthroned in that diocese. The Orthodox Church has a sense of authority that is given to its shepherds. There is a sense that the church is uh, substance. There's something to it. It's not just a fly-by thing. It's not just a production just put up in a night. And then once the pastor has made enough money, maybe he goes and builds a bigger one, something like this. But what we have in the church is something of great authority. This is very different from what we are used to in North America, where we have a plethora of options, where there is, if somebody decides that it's their turn or they've been called, they're going to start up a church, and there we go. There's another church. I know Anderson County, this area, you can have 10 churches that pop up in a year, and then five of them fail, and then the next year there's 15. And it's just this kind of revolving door. I don't know how many times... You know, the church that's down by Solway as you're crossing over the river, how many times that building has traded hands with just, just change the title. It's a new form. And what this does is this, it makes a lot of us cynical about church, that there is uh, the ability to kind of shop around, that we can find a church that fits our needs uh, we like the music. We like the suit that the pastor wears. We like that they do the old-timey stuff. We like that they do the rock and roll stuff. We like that they preach uh, a particular brand of Calvinism. We like that they, you know, I don't know. You can just keep going down the list. Just this kind of laundry list. They have a great youth group. They have etc., etc., etc. And right alongside of this, this kind of... Uh, I don't know what other words. I don't really like cafeteria-style Christianity, right? You can, this metaphor where you go through and you kind of pick what you want. But what we have with this plethora of Protestant denominations is everything is up for tailoring it to however you desire it. This is not the way. This is not what the Orthodox Church is. This is not what the Orthodox Church presents to us. This is not what the Orthodox Church offers to us. The Orthodox Church is not something that you just join and then you pick and choose the things that you like. I like incense. I like icons. I don't like the teachings of the church on moral issues. But I really like the icons. I like uh, the fact that I can't see the priest most of the time because his back is turned to me. I like... Just go down the list, right? This is not something that you join as if it's like Costco or Sam's Club where you go in and you say, okay, I want that tier. That's what I'm going to sign up for. That's $150 a year. Great, I get the discounts that I want. We don't use really the language, or I don't really like the word of joining the church. You are initiated into the church. This is something that is given to you to form yourself, to conform yourself to. The Orthodox Church is a visible historic communion. 
We do not believe in an invisible church where there's just kind of a gathering of believers all over the place, but it is actually has flesh and bones. If you know what an Orthodox Christian is, you can say, who is your bishop? This is especially for priests. Priests, we're not a Presbyterian church. I cannot just go and do whatever I want. I can't go down the street, open up shop, and say, here's an Orthodox church. You find somebody like that and you say, who's your bishop? And then they say, my bishop is such and such. Like, oh, yes, what sin is that? That sin is. Okay, I know that you're Orthodox. Because you have folks who run around, they're dressed like this. I don't know why they want to do this to themselves, but they dress <laughs> like this. And they present themselves as Orthodox. I saw a comment, oh, yes, he's Orthodox, but he's independent. That doesn't exist. (laughs) I am under the authority of a bishop. This antimension that we'll open up and celebrate the gifts on has the signature of the bishop. This is the Orthodox Church. It's not another Protestant denomination. This is what we confess in the creed. That was written with the fathers of the first ecumenical council that we commemorate today. We confess belief in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We confess one church. We confess that church is holy, that is set apart. This is something that is supposed to actually embody. It is also a goal, right? Just like unity, oneness is a goal. Catholicity, that it is universal, that it is the one faith the one uh, holy Catholic and apostolic church all over the globe. And that it is apostolic, that it is actually rooted and guided by the teachings of the apostles. Because of this, that we believe and confess one holy Catholic and apostolic church, apostasy is a thing. You can apostatize and leave the faith. It is something that you might not think that you're doing, But it is, if you were to go and receive communion at another body, that is spiritual adultery. You have now excommunicated yourself from the body of Christ. You're not, you're outside. There's a way back. There's always repentance. There's always confession and coming back. But there is a way to place yourself outside of the communion of the church. And what is sad is that this is something that can happen over the most minute disagreements. We're not even talking about doctrine, but just little things. And then we go and join ourselves to another body. The Orthodox Church is not just some conglomeration of random practices and, you know, I like Byzantine icons, so therefore we have Byzantine icons. We like Russian-style singing, so this is why we do it. This is the tradition that we receive. This is why Paul, in his word to the elders, he says, take heed to yourselves. And this is always incumbent upon the bishops and the leadership, the priests, to take heed to ourselves. That we live the gospel. That we are in obedience. We make a vow before being ordained that we will teach and preach exactly what the fathers teach and what the canons of the church hold. They take heed to ourselves and to the flock which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. Now, overseers, bishop, bishop can have, it's a little abstract of a word for us, but overseer, maybe shepherd, 
a little bit more specific. We've been reading in the women's and men's synaxis through Titus. The women have, we've gotten through Titus now. Uh, men will get through Titus one of these days. <coughs> but this is very clear that Paul telling Titus, you are to go and you are to defend the faith. You are to exhort. This is what we just read yesterday in uh, the end of chapter 2 of Titus. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Who likes to be rebuked with authority? Father Stephen does. <laughs> Anybody else? Nobody. We all, it smarts. We're not used to it. There's not much in our world right now that rebukes us. Well, sorry, hold on. There is actually a lot in this world that rebukes us. And they do it with a lot of authority. A lot of moral authority. All sorts of authority. But then when it comes to the church and we say we have to speak something with authority and there's going to be rebuke, there's something strong coming, then everyone goes, oh, no, 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 no. But the world does it and everyone's, not everyone, quite a lot of people are okay with that. The whole point of Titus and exhorting and rebuking with authority is because there's wolves, because the church needs to be protected, because there are those who want to subvert. This is what Titus talks about. They want to subvert. They want to come in and divide the body of Christ. That one holy Catholic and apostolic church, they don't want that unity found in Christ. So it's always a challenge for us to not despise the one who has to rebuke with authority to say something that is strong if you read scripture if you read the fathers think okay scripture is strong read the fathers the fathers are incredibly strong about what they have to say about things i'm especially moved in paul's words to these elders the tears that Paul has. This is not out of some kind of like, we have to maintain, you know, that giving is up so that we have the institution and that this is what matters, but that this is life and death. That this is everything on the line. And Paul will weep tears over it. We have in all of this an opportunity for growing into the mind of the church. That the Orthodox Church is not a social club. It is not a gathering of people with similar likes or dislikes of ethnicity, background, taste in clerical gear, incense, or that we're all evangelicals who like, happen to like the Byzantine rite. Or that we're just kind of Protestant, but we're okay with certain things of Orthodox. We pick and choose things. Orthodoxy is the church of the apostles and of the fathers. It is Christ's church. What he, in all that he gave to us, his life, he's given us the church as a continuation of his teaching, his presence, his shepherding, his guidance. We need the church. We need to church ourselves we need to immerse ourselves in the scripture we need to read the fathers not just current things even if it has 
orthodox iconography on it, stamped with orthodox stuff, did not take anything and everything that a priest says just because they said it. But we seek the truth. I'm not saying that don't listen to orthodox priests. What I'm saying is you have to discern because you are gathering to yourself the mind of the church. And especially in, is prayer. Use the prayer book. Your prayer book should have a broken spine. Maybe the content's boiling out. It really depends on the type. I think there's certain prayer books that they are very specifically made to break or something. But you need the services of the church to read the lives of the saints, see those who have gone on before, who have fought the good fight, the ones who have suffered for the name of Christ, the ones who have suffered for the church. Read especially just this past century, the 20th century, the Romanian, the Russian, all of these fathers and mothers of the faith who suffered, who would die to protect an icon, to make the sign of the cross and be shot. This is what the Orthodox faith creates, martyrs. It creates those who will die for Christ and for his church. In all of this, seek guidance. Seek someone who has trodden the path who can actually initiate you, who can guide you. And if there's a certain point on that path where they say, I need to point you to someone else who's better equipped to do this, find that person. I will tell you, the church tells you, it's your parish priest who is the person that is the, the point of that. The church is the ark of salvation. Don't jump off. Don't jump out. The water is not nice. The water is frothy. It's white. There's a storm. We need to batten down the hatches. We need to align ourselves to anchor ourselves in the holy tradition of the church. That we have the prayers of the fathers of the first ecumenical council. That when they gathered to that ecumenical council... They came in with canes and broken bones that had mended from torture. That there had been suffering. This was not just the empire bringing together uh, a bunch of well-off men. This was a broken church who had sacrificed and who was there to defend the faith. So let us, by the prayers of the fathers of the First Ecumenical Council, look forward to Pentecost. As we gaze upon our Lord who has been enthroned by his Father, who promises to be with us no matter what, who sends the Holy Spirit to transform us, mind, body, and soul. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.